We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. Christmas is ruined. Sam, how are you doing? By Otto Porter Jr. of all people, <laughs> Christmas is ruined. I'm doing all right. That was, uh, here's what I'll say about that game that we all watched on Christmas a couple days yeah. ago. It was a phenomenal basketball game between two elite basketball teams. And right up until like two and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter, all was swell. You know, it was a close game. I think the Warriors either had a tied or were up by two points at, at that point, but it could have gone either way. And then Otto Porter ruined it all yeah. in the last two and a half minutes with one of the most bizarro stretches to to close out. Ice in his veins closed out the Suns on Christmas and sort of ruined it for yeah. us. And now as we look ahead real quick too, also, I know we're going to recap this game, but just preparing ourselves, we're going to break down all the news that's happening to the Suns because it's changing yeah. hour by hour, minute by minute. And we prepare ourselves for possibly what's shaping up to be one of the more bizarre weeks of the season mm-hmm. for for the Suns. Yeah. It's it's going to start looking really weird really fast. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And it's funny with Otto Porter, like at a certain point, the amount of attention Steph Curry draws and like the Suns do well guarding Steph Curry, but that often means that other guys are going to be open and Otto Porter hitting an, a wide open three. That's like, OK, that hurts. Like the Suns are playing well. You know, Booker struggling. We'll talk about all of it in a second. But then Otto Porter hits a fadeaway mid-range too. <laughs> yeah, and it's that, like okay, that's well, what it was. this is not meant to be. Like we are not winning this yeah. game if that's the kind of shots that Otto Porter is hitting. And credit to them because I think you know traps are something we talk about a lot on this podcast and how teams deal with traps. There's been no team 
in the history of the NBA trapped more that have their ball handlers trapped more than the Golden State Warriors. And there's been no team in the history of the NBA that handles traps better than them. Uh, and that's the advantage of having a guy like Draymond Green who can catch it in space and find guys uh, consistently. So, yeah, they, they did a really good job at the end of that game. And it takes guys stepping up and hitting shots to win games when two really great teams play against each other. And I think you can see where the Suns would struggle in a seven-game series. You know, a lot of this season is building up to how these two teams will play in the NBA playoffs. And Sam, I, I did a lot of trying to convince Suns fans that the team that the Suns needed to be measured against is the Warriors and not the other way around. Because as much as you know, being ahead of them by one game in the standings means something, to me, it basically meant nothing. And then the team that had the two-time MVP, including the only unanimous MVP selection, and the coach that coached them to five NBA Finals and arguably the Defensive Player of the Year, that seems like the team that the Suns need to be measured against. And I think maybe Suns fans are starting to realize that after the Christmas Day game, right? I think slowly they are realizing that. Uh, obviously, you should have realized that all along. The thing about the Warriors is I don't think any of us have ever told you it's not their talent necessarily that's intimidating. That We know Curry's amazing. We know Draymond is, like, does what he does impeccably. But they played that game without Jordan Poole. They played that game without Andrew Wiggins. Mm -hmm. Like you said, it took tough shots by Otto Porter at the end to win. There's, there's a certain differentiation that goes on between trapping Steph Curry and forcing their guys into tough shots, which you live with, versus, you know, allowing their guys to get easy shots at the rim, which was a lot of where the Suns' defense fell apart in that game. And we can break that down a little bit more in depth too but it's not their talent necessarily that's intimidating their effort was fantastic I mean the Suns just got out hustled all game the the rebounding effort was pathetic mm -hmm. uh the the defense from the Warriors was phenomenal mm -hmm. obviously Draymond but another guy Gary Payton the second yeah. had a sensational game yeah and that wasn't a talent thing that was just a wanting it thing yeah uh so if I mean if you're the Suns there are a lot of lessons to learn about just shoring up the little things on both ends and this is the team. I mean, th this is the team. There is no other team in the league that you have to be prepared for. So it's like we could spend a lot of time talking about this game. And I think maybe some people are already over it. They just want to move on to whatever's next. But it's like, you know, whatever bullshit game they're going to play without half the roster against Memphis <laughs> tonight, it doesn't, fu it doesn't fucking matter. None of it fucking matters. Golden State matters. So you, yeah. you need to focus on this matchup above all else. Because above all, the Suns just did not bring an effort that was worthy of winning that game on Christmas. Mm -hmm. And that's what they need to fix. If the Warriors can survive by essentially putting Gary Payton on Devin Booker and not trapping, not switching, just hounding him with a single defender, the rest of the team becomes a lot easier to defend. Because, you know, as much as Booker struggled there, I do think there are things that the Suns can do to free him up against Gary Payton and I think it's something that happened in the playoffs as well with uh, Patrick Beverly it's, it's a good example it's a similar defense that that they're playing there and the Suns could do better now that they're prepared but the the Warriors came into this game I mean truthfully just with a better game plan against the Suns and I think two things stood out to me uh, Gary Payton the second who's just been playing very well this season and, and look offensively if he can hit wide open threes 
It's a disaster for any team that's playing against them because the idea is playing him off the floor, and if you can't, then you can't. That's a huge deal. Uh, But secondly, Draymond is just so clearly the smartest defender in the NBA and just basketball IQ-wise stands out against essentially every single player on the Suns outside of basically Chris Paul, probably. <laughs> I mean, it's just hit the level. And they do a fascinating thing with Draymond Green where their switching defensively is so next level that Draymond can almost play a zone. You know, he can almost just guard an area on the floor and the Golden State perimeter defenders are capable of switching out to any players that head up to the three-point line. It's almost like they play uh, the opposite of a box in one. <laughs> it's like a single zone defender with four uh, man defenders that can just switch onto perimeter players. And that means that it's essentially impossible to take Draymond out of the action defensively, which is a huge deal when they have a defender that's as good as Draymond. You you essentially cannot game plan to take him away from the action because they're capable of switching so smartly off the ball that Draymond will constantly be in the mix. And that's going to be something I think the Suns have to deal with because it's sort of a new style of defense that really I've never seen anyone do outside of the Warriors. And it's going to be fascinating to see. I really hope we get a seven-game series here uh, because that would likely mean Western Conference Finals, first of all, for both of these teams. But I think coaching-wise, it's going to be a fascinating chess match to see what they do. I mean, I would like for the Jazz to just take them out in the second round. Uh, or well, yeah, obviously. So I, don't have to, <laughs> so I don't have to think about that. But it's not going to happen. So yeah. yeah, you probably need to plan for this being the Western Conference Finals right here. Because honestly, I don't, I don't really see anyone else. The Jazz even would need to have a pretty miraculous performance, I think, to if they ended up uh, faced against the Warriors to win that one. But yeah, with Draymond as a free safety, kind of like you were talking about. He's so good. And the other place where he's so good is just around the basket. We were sharing clips with each other before we recorded today. Yeah. And one guy, you know, I'll save the main portion of this piece to you in talking about DeAndre Ayton's performance. So I kind of want to open the floor up to you on that in just a second of overall how you felt about DeAndre Ayton's performance. But as it relates to Draymond, he's so good with just sensing the presence of whether it was uh, DeAndre Ayton, whether it was JaVale McGee, um, being able to get his body into guys and ensure the offensive rebounds and the defensive rebounds for Golden State was a huge reason why, despite being undersized, they had such a good rebounding performance. One clip that I shared with you was the Suns ran like a 2-1 pistol play between, I think it was Chris Paul and Devin Booker, And the initial action, totally successful, blew right by the initial defense. Uh, So then you've got Devin Booker driving to the rim. Kevon Looney shifts over. Easy block for him. He he gets a hand on it. But at the same exact time, Draymond, it's just instantaneous the way they move on defense to make sure he gets his butt into into DeAndre and grabs the defensive rebound. And this was like three minutes left in the fourth quarter. So this was a clutch play right here. But he's just, he's doing it all game. And he's bringing a physical edge that for a guy like DeAndre, and this is where I'll open it up to you, yeah. DeAndre got buckets in this game. You know, he scored, he sealed, he he. when they gave it to him in the post, he was efficient. I think he finished 8 for 10. Yeah. But this was not one of those games where I would say that DeAndre really nailed the little things exactly. and brought the physical yeah. edge that you would expect him to, in a, it, it, that he needs to, frankly, if you want to win a series against the Warriors. DeAndre only had yeah. seven rebounds in this game. And I would say it felt like a game where he only had seven rebounds versus his u- usual 11 or 12. But 
I, I know you have a lot to say about this, so I do want to know also how you well, how you felt about his performance. I think that the Suns have played the Warriors three times, basically in the last month. <laughs> so we saw in the first game against the Warriors the level of intensity that DeAndre Ayton needs to bring in order for the small ball minutes by the Warriors when Dre, when I'm sorry, yeah, Draymond is on the floor at center and DeAndre Ayton is on at center for the Suns. That needs to be some sort of advantage for the Suns. And in this game, it wasn't. And I think so much of the credit goes to the preparation and game plan by Draymond Green. Because specifically on the boards, and this is sort of emblematic of the rest of the game entirely, but specifically on the rebounds, the work that the Warriors do prior to the shot going up is what allowed them to out-rebound the Suns, even though they have a distinct size disadvantage. And I think what shines against the Warriors, and this is no disrespect to DeAndre Ayton, because it's just the case with Draymond Green and essentially every center, is the feel and the basketball IQ of Draymond Green compared to DeAndre Ayton, who oftentimes needs to be coached in order to adjust mid-game, whereas Draymond Green is just very prepared and understands the game just at an elite level instantaneously. So the work that they're doing ahead of time, exactly as you described, allowed them to get between DeAndre Ayton and the basket pretty significantly throughout the game. And I think towards the end of the game, something you pointed out when we were talking about it earlier, DeAndre Ayton appeared to have adjusted, and that's likely because of coaching. So I think the feel for the game for DeAndre Ayton is still evolving. It's just not quite there yet when it comes to understanding how they're playing him early in the game and adjusting right away. I think oftentimes it takes somebody like Monty Williams, Chris Paul, or Devin Booker to point certain things out to him to allow him to adjust throughout a game. And I think that's that's why the Suns were so good throughout the playoffs. You know, they would see how players and teams were playing against them and then adjust pretty dramatically. Very coachable players. But somebody like Chris yeah. Paul and Devin Booker often are able to do that in real time, whereas DeAndre Ayton is not quite there yet from what I've seen. Right. I think that's a good point, by the way, because I just rewatched the game, so it's fresh in my mind. Aiton was locked in for the final stretch. He came in with about six minutes left, and I didn't really see any lapses from him on the defensive end. In fact, I saw some really good stuff on the offensive end with him sealing off players so that Chris Paul could get to the basket. Overall, I'm not saying it was a bad game, but it's just the when we talk about the intensity level, there was a mismatch that felt noticeable. But on the other hand... I mean, it's never just on one guy, and there's a lot of guys we could talk about in this one. I think, in fact, Suns fans probably want this loss to be pinned mostly on one guy, and we'll get to him eventually. But before we get there, there were a lot of defensive miscues from other guys, too. I mean, yeah. we should make note of the fact that DeAndre's job on Steph Curry, he's still playing in a drop, technically. Mm-hmm. But he's playing so much higher to the level, almost to the level of the screen than he usually is. It makes yeah, his job switching. so much more difficult. Or switching. Yes, yeah, sometimes he switched. And Which in he fact, did when well, he did I switch... Thought. I thought he did well, and the other thing the Suns would do is when he switched, they usually brought a help defender, and then they would have to scramble in rotations. And actually, I thought they did a pretty good job with that. But when on, on when they sort of just played it more cleanly, which I think they did a lot more of in the first half, DeAndre's in a slight drop. The tagger has a really heightened role of importance there, and sometimes it would be Devin Booker who would fall asleep, and sometimes it would be Chris Paul even who would fall asleep on the back end of the rotation. Yeah. 
And the thing is, kind of like we were saying at the beginning, look, the Suns obviously came in with the game plan. They wanted, they defended the initial actions from the Warriors offense really well. They made Steph Curry's life difficult. Curry did not shoot 100 million percent. He actually struggled a little bit from the field. And in fact, a couple of those threes shouldn't have counted because they were uh, uh, travels. If the Warriors fans want to complain about the Chris Paul rip through, you can absolutely complain about the Steph Curry travel three that I guess Harden has mastered the footwork or whatever. But Curry plainly has not. But in spite of that, you understand that the game plan is to take away from Curry as much as you possibly can and force like the scrubs to to feed or whatever but that means trying to get them to take difficult shots that means taking guys who are traditionally not shooters and forcing them to prove it from the three-point line mm-hmm. you want guys like Gary Payton the second to hit threes which he's been able to do this season but you want him to prove it in a in a clutch sort of environment or even with Otto Porter which he was able to do at the end of the game too often they were giving up layups and it doesn't matter how well you play Steph Curry up on the screen like you said he's going to be able to navigate that space get it into Draymond and if they can get layups it doesn't matter if they have five fifth graders out on the floor they're still (laughs) going to run an efficient offense yeah if they can get layups on you there were plays I posted one play on Twitter where the Suns had three defenders and and obviously again this was right after an offensive rebound for the Warriors so it was plainly the fact just that it was so demoralizing in the first place to even you spend 20 seconds 24 seconds guarding the guy and then they get another chance but it was immediately after an offensive rebound three guys were around Steph Curry JaVale McGee was a few steps back right underneath the rim he was watching Steph Curry Nemanja Bialica like snuck under the basket no one had an eye on him for a full seven seconds and got the easiest shot of his mm-hmm. career because Curry just flipped it over to him by the time JaVale got a hand up it was way too late yeah and so the concentration has to be perfect right it's a really right. difficult ask I, the the switching that the suns are doing it works it really does they've got between what they've got going on between crowder bridges booker and uh uh cam johnson when he's in the game as well you can tell that it throws steph curry off sometimes but that's just the initial action that's just the first seven to ten seconds you can't put all that work in into the first seven or ten seconds of the possession only for you to start ball watching and have it all fall apart in right, the next five right. seconds and we saw way too much of that uh, on, on Christmas. Steph Curry missed 11 threes in this game. And the Warriors offensive rebounded five of those. That just can't happen. And I think there's something about Steph Curry's threes that are so demoralizing, similar to like a poster dunk, that... Often when he launches up something that looks insane, players just turn around and watch to see if it's going to go in. That kind of focus, that kind of watching can't happen because the Warriors are prepared to offensive rebound those, specifically against the Suns and against the teams that have better centers, like the size disadvantage that they have. And I'm going to put that in quotes because it, it quite it hasn't really played out like that yet. Um they're prepared to to rebound those and the Suns need to not just turn around and watch the ball go up when Steph launches because the work that they're doing against him so far has worked and looks of course he had a lot of points in this game uh, but he took a lot of shots to get there and that means that a lot of them didn't mm-hmm. go in and the Suns need to take advantage of the ones that don't go in in order to win Be- the game against him be honest with me so I'm looking at the box score here Gary Payton he was amazing right yeah was it not, were it not for Otto Porter's final two minutes, 
I think it, it would have been clear that Gary Payton was the third best player in that game. Because yeah. of those last two minutes, I think you can toss it Otto Porter and say he was the fourth best player. But Payton, with his energy plays, breaking up multiple plays, he also hit Offensive two standstill rebounds. threes. Offensive rebounds. So he finished with 14 points, eight rebounds. I mean, is it crazy to say, like, if... Because I've said this in the past. If Clay comes back and he's not providing 100% of the value that he does on defense, which probabilistically we know he probably won't, I kind of find it hard to see how Clay would have a more impactful performance in the average game or how he would have had a more impactful performance in last night's game just by shooting threes versus what Gary Payton did. I I think there, there are... Moral victories, maybe in this, which I hate to use, but you, you know, like you got to take what you can get. I mean, the the path to improvement. You look at it at first, and it's like such a clear foundation that you think the Warriors would be able to build on. But I don't think it's just as simple as you inject Weissman and and Clay into this roster and they get better. Now Wiggins and Poole is different because they've been playing with them all season long. Yeah, but I think you know you just substitute what Gary Payton just did last night his 30 minutes for Clay's 30 minutes, I don't necessarily think the team gets any better Yeah, because of exactly what you were just talking about. They're not as able to capitalize on what happens when teams fall asleep just watching Steph. Well, yeah. This is assuming that Clay is not 100% of his full value, which if he, if he gets there, this could very quickly turn out to be an insanely dumb opinion. But we, just ha- we haven't seen him play basketball yeah. in two years, so we have to wait and see. Well, yeah. I mean, there's a massive caveat on if he's fine, if he comes back and it looks like he did before especially defensively, um, I think they're very, very, very clearly the best team in the NBA, which, in my opinion, they are right now, even without him. And I, I think there's two things on that that I want to say. A Clay Thompson three is not a normal three. I mean, he can run no, off right. of five different screens, and that just really screws up your defense game plans, and then he catches it and shoots it in a split second. And that's just something that makes a massive difference. So offensively, and they'll-, they'll be better. And they'll continue to do a million of the guard-to-guard screens. And the difference with Clay, obviously, is that when Peyton's doing it, he can only cut or slip. When Clay's doing it, he can either cut. He can do everything. Yeah. Or take the three. Yes, he can do everything. He can catch it from mid-range. He can catch it at the rim. Like, he can do everything. It's a good point. But, hey, if he doesn't have the lift in his knees and he tries to set one of those screens and cuts to the basket like Peyton did, swat the shit out of that, maybe. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Here's the second thing. It's such uncharted waters for him. When, is all I'm saying. When Gary Payton II was off the floor against the Suns and Devin Booker was in the game, they were sending two guys at Devin Booker even without the screen. They were just forcing the ball out of Devin Booker's hands. And that allows the Suns to play essentially four on three offensively. If they have to do that defensively with Clay Thompson on the floor, which remains to be seen, they may not have to do that. Maybe Clay Thompson can do as well um, against Devin Booker as Gary Payton the second can, but if they do have to do that, that's I think offensively that can work out in the Suns' favor over the course of a game slash seven game series up to seven game series, um, depending on offensively how the Suns play in that scenario. Because I think they've gotten a lot better at traps, especially with the way that DeAndre Ayton has been playing offensively lately. Uh, so it just depends, you know. I think there's an obvious case that if they bring Wiseman back and Wiseman plays a big role against the Suns, that's a huge advantage for the Suns because he's just not quite there yet. Um, but in its seven game series, I have a feeling Wiseman plays very little. <laughs> like I just, at some point they'll just go back to what works for them against the Suns. And that's probably not going to be Wiseman over time. So Clay's a different story. I do think that the advantage that they have 
if they can hold on to this advantage, which I think Devin Booker tends to figure out defenders over time, uh, if they can keep Gary Payton II on Devin Booker one-on-one and just force him to fight through screens and not switch, not trap, do nothing else but keep one guy and his focus on Booker, that's a huge advantage for them. And it's up to Booker, I think, because he played badly, ultimately. Offensively, Booker played badly. And a lot of credit goes to Payton because he was playing very well. Uh, but if Booker continues to play like that against them, we're finished. <laughs> There's just no chance that yeah. you can win in a seven-game series with Devin Booker playing like that. So it's up to Booker and the Suns to find a way to counter what Peyton was doing. And so, look, so far, we've seen what it looks like when Devin Booker figures out a defender who gets on him early in games or early in series or early in the season. He tends to figure them out. There's not a lot of players that will lock him down for over the course of an entire season. Uh, so we'll see how they react to that. And like you said, the next time the Suns play against him, Peyton might be coming off the bench and not starting against Devin Booker. So it might be a, a different situation throughout the game. It, it's going to be mean, interesting. I'm just saying, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm simply positing that Gary Payton was terrific on defense, whereas there is a chance that Clay Thompson is now a guy that you actually try to get the switch onto because you're targeting him defensively. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm saying there is the potential... And it remains to be seen, and we'll see when he comes back. But the other thing that I like that you mentioned there is because you're talking about you try to keep Peyton into that one-on-one defense because it avoids a situation where he's able to go and do other things. Well, we can apply that to Draymond and what he was doing with Chris Paul as well. The more that Draymond is forced to play up and pressure Chris Paul, as he was doing at the very beginning of the game, the less you can have Draymond in that free safety role that we were talking about earlier. And ultimately, that's a great thing for the Suns because now if... Okay, it's a it's a great thing for the Suns with a caveat. You need to find the tertiary ball handler who can actually go out and get you offense. But the more that Draymond is preoccupied with Chris Paul, the more that Gary Payton is preoccupied with Devin Booker, well, the less back-end help they have. Now it's basically just Kevon Looney, who's, you know, a pretty good rim protector, but not doesn't bring the same intimidation factor. He's a guy that you can attack, as long as you have guys who are willing to put the ball on the floor and really get after it. Right. So the Suns need to figure a yeah. lot of things out with this team. They're the best defense in the league for a reason, but... There are holes. Right. There are potentially holes. We should transition, I think. Quickly, though. though, Go for it. What you just said was exactly why about three-quarters of the way through the game, all of a sudden we saw Mikael Bridges pick and roll. Uh, Because the defenders that were kind of killing the Suns were on Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Now you have sort of the softer spots of the defense on Mikael Bridges. Mikael Bridges pick and roll, mid-range shot, score. There needs to be other guys capable of doing that. And to that point, the Suns absolutely have to win the minutes when Steph Curry is off the court, which there we go. Right now, they are, except when Cameron Payne is on the court. When Cameron Payne is on the court and Steph Curry is off the court currently, the Suns are losing those minutes. And that is not a recipe to win. Now, a lot of people that were listening to the beginning of this podcast, the 20 minutes that we've talked so far or whatever it is, are probably shouting about Cameron Payne. <laughs> I know. I was thinking. <laughs> and his five saying, turnovers. Why have, his, why have they not <laughs> talked about the real issue, which is campaign? And we, we were going to get there. Yeah. We were always going to get there. And his five turnovers in five minutes or whatever he had <laughs> in his first five minutes of this game. And, you know, truthfully, it's been probably the most disappointing thing for the Suns so far this season in Cameron Payne's play so far. And that hurts because he's an incredibly likable guy and a guy who had some 
incredible playoff moments for the Suns. And I have some thoughts as to why he's been struggling. Um, I'd love to hear what you think. First of all, I just want to throw out the stat that I put posted on Twitter today, Cameron Payne. Just to demonstrate what we're dealing with, the Suns last year with Cameron Payne on the floor had a 116.4 offensive rating. That's per 100 possessions. That is very, very good. It was even better than the offensive rating they had with Chris Paul on the floor last year. So the Suns' offense was actually better with campaign on the floor versus Chris Paul. This year, it has dropped from 116 to 101.6, a 15-point drop. It is 12 points worse than when campaign is off the floor. So Chris Payne, uh, Chris Paul is off the floor. Chris, Chris Payne. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's really bad. You, you, like you said, you don't win a series against the Warriors without winning the Steph Curryless minutes, and you don't win the Steph Curryless minutes consistently with a backup point guard who runs an offense to the tune of 102 offensive rating. It's it's putridly bad. There are a lot of issues with Cam right now, and the problem is I don't know what's solvable and what's not solvable. We're 30 games into the season, and I want to be able to say that the shooting slump, we can start there, is just a slump. But the truth is, his catch-and-shoot three-point percentage is down 15% from last year. And maybe it was unattainably high last year. Like, last year he did literally shoot, I think it was 50% on catch-and-shoot mm-hmm. threes. So granted, that's re- he was really, really good. But his catch-and-shoot threes are down 15%. His pull-up threes are down 12%. And so much about Cam, because we know once he gets in, we know he's so fast with his first step. But versatility is not his strength. His bag is not the most vast, we could say. You know? He's only got a couple of moves, if we're, if we're being entirely honest. He needs the speed, but more importantly, he also needs the spacing to keep the defense honest. Because if that disappears from his game... Well, now they're just going to start to drop back on him as deep as they can and say, come and get it. Because we don't think you're going to pass. We just think you're going to go for the lefty floater over us, and we're willing to live with that shot every time. Yeah. So you start with the shooting. Is it is it just a slump 30 games in? It kind of needs to come back if you really want to have faith in this guy. Like, I think campaign, he's only making $6 million a year. Mm-hmm. I think he's still living up to the contract that James right. uh, Jones signed him to. Right, like we all we all said, oh, what a steal that was during the summer, and even now, with how disappointed we are in his play, I still think he's living up to that contract. The problem is he needs to be more than just living up to that contract if you really want to win a championship with him as your backup point guard. Yeah. So the shooting needs to come back first, and then there's the whole issue of, of finishing and playmaking. I don't know. It, it. Where do you want to start with kind of tackling it? First, the two-man lineup of Cameron Payne and JaVale McGee has a plus. 14.4 net rating so far this season in 286 minutes. So, as much as I want to say Cameron Payne has struggled this year, when him and JaVale McGee are on the floor together, it's working. It's just working. The Suns are killing teams. That's a really you know high net rating. But can I say what's funny about that? Mm-hmm. Or do you have do you have another point? No, no, um, no. Go ahead. I'm, well, so... I feel like we originally approached this topic a week or two ago when we weren't having a full-blown campaign discussion, but we were saying, hey, Cam's struggling. And we said, well, maybe it was the fact that he succeeded with Charge because yes. of five-out spacing. Yes, that is what and I And it gave him say. more room to drive. Right, so isn't that, isn't that data weird? Yes, well, here's what I'll say. It's, it's, it's the difference between individual statistics for Cam and Payne and statistics as a team for the Suns in general when the bench is on the floor. Because 
I do think there is a correlation between the fact that Cameron Payne and his finishing specifically is so much better when he has a spread floor, but it does not necessarily mean that his lower individual shooting has an impact on the bench to the point where the Suns are getting beat consistently. So while I think there is a slight Cameron Payne problem so far this season, I think it's dramatically exacerbated by the matchup against the Warriors than the rest of the season in general. And so, you know, I guess we could, I guess I'll say it this way. We probably should have more of a Cameron Payne conversation later, unless you have more to say about it right now. I have a little more to say. Okay, let's let's hear let's hear what you have to say before we and then we'll take a break because I want to talk and about potential roster upgrades for the Suns as well for this matchup. So, the Payne Javale minutes have a one ten offensive rating. Yeah. The flip side of that, the Payne Aiton minutes, and there aren't a ton of them because it's backup and starter, but there are hundred eighteen yeah, minutes. There's enough That's that it's a, a good sample size. Not a small amount of minutes is a 91.1 offensive rating. And I don't know if you remember, but this was one of the things that I emphasized in the internal development series because we were still broaching the, the idea of, well, can campaign be a starter in this league, like a real starter in this league on a team that you have to take seriously one day? And we always said that he, it would take more development from where he was last year in order to get there. But one of the things that disappointed me, and I met, brought up these stats from last season at the time, was we, we never saw him develop chemistry with DeAndre Ayton. And regrettably, I, I still can't say that we've really seen it at all. Like, I, I've got the stats here. Aiton has gotten, in 118 minutes with campaign, six assists. He's received six assists from Cameron Payne. He averages, for, for reference, every, for every eight minutes that DeAndre Aiton plays on the court, shares on the floor with Chris Paul, he gets an assist. One assist for Chris Paul to DeAndre Aiton every eight minutes. For Cameron Payne, that number is one assist every 20 minutes, less than half the time, half the frequency when those two share the floor. And, I mean, on the one hand, and I said this at the time, too, in our internal development series, you can't hold Cameron Payne to the standard of Chris Paul because that's not fair. He's a different player who plays a different game. He can't just do the thing where he spams mid-range pick-and-rolls and snakes the pick-and-roll and then, like, forces Aiton to get a switch and seal and dumps it off to him. Like, that's an easy way for Chris Paul to spam assists to DeAndre Aiton in the post, and campaign can't do that because defenses don't care about his mid-range shot like they do with Chris Paul's, but he's got to find a way. He's got to find a way to work that pick-and-roll duo so that it's more balanced between the two of them. And it can't just be looking for his own shot all the time and then hoping that the big is there to get the offensive rebound. Because that seems to be what's working with JaVale, but there need to be other options built into the offense right. if you want it to be a sustainable environment that works in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it, like you almost look at the way he's playing so far this season, and he's essentially playing like a shooting guard with the ball. And I almost think that there's something... I almost feel like there was something told to him at the beginning of the season about the Suns needing his offense, like as far as scoring goes, that has negatively negatively impacted how he's played so far this season because the Suns, uh, it seems like they need more of a point guard when he's playing more like a shooting guard. And I think that's something that he can adjust. And look, the shooting-wise, I know you asked that earlier. I don't know. We have a larger sample size of him being a good shooter than him being a terrible shooter. So that is encouraging. Well... 
As a son, yes. Yeah, exactly. As a, as a, there's an even larger sample size than <laughs> yeah, that's that a of good him point. being a bad shooter in his career. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> so yeah, we'll see there. By the way, since I have these two man lineups up, just to point this out, Chris Paul and Cameron Payne sharing the the floor together, minus twenty seven point one net rating. <laughs> oh my god! Just has minutes and and a a not small one hundred and eight minutes. Wow. Yeah, and that worked last season. So, you know, maybe there needs to be some more digging as to why that hasn't worked so far this season. I'd be curious to see who they've played with and how that affects the overall numbers there. But let's take a quick break because I think we need to talk about what the Suns could potentially do before the playoffs begin to make the matchup better and more in the Suns' favor against the Warriors. So we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, before we talk about how the Suns could potentially upgrade their roster, something that people have asked me about and asked us about, why could the Suns not get more shots to DeAndre Ayton in this game? People will constantly talk about, specifically whenever the Suns lose, that DeAndre Ayton should get more (laughs) shots in any game that the Suns lose, which I think, to some extent... The Suns do need to get DeAndre Ayton the ball more against the Warriors because DeAndre Ayton played extremely well in the first game against the Warriors, and we saw how that could work. And when he caught the ball in this game, we saw how efficient he was. I think he ended the game with like an 80% field goal percentage. And that hook yep. shot in particular is just unblockable at this point. They're able to get, if they can get that shot, they're able to score the majority of the time. You just rewatched it. I'm curious to to hear your thoughts on why he did not get as many shots as people would like. Yeah. I mean, my thoughts aren't going to be that special. I'm sure you remember too, but it's, I think the people who want Aiton to be fed are thinking about kind of those post hook shots that admittedly he was very good on, very efficient on in that Warriors game. 
But the idea of you should know by now if you're a Suns fan and you watch every game, the idea of just feeding Aiton over and over again in the post runs completely counter to what the Suns' offensive mission statement is, which is to be unpredictable, not predictable, right? So I think the way that you could have gotten Aiton, the way you would hope to get Aiton more offense in a game like this, the way he gets up to 15, 16, 17 field goal attempts instead of just 10, is if you had the typical lob window open for him that we usually see. Usually we see like two, three, four attempts on just alley-oops for Aiden throughout the game. I mean, he's a rim runner. That's like his primary function on offense. And the Warriors, credit to them, are just really, really, really good at shutting that down, whether it be through the tagger being able to keep a body on Aiden in the first place or the nail defender coming onto the ball handler so fast that they have to force a pass out to the perimeter and can't get it over the top, right? So... It's just difficult. I mean, I think those people really just want Aiton to be fed like he's Boogie Cousins in the post. And it's just like you're you're free to vent your frustrations if you see that they're not doing that, which they won't. But that's just not – it's not – Monty Williams isn't going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> he's just not. He, well, we, we have never – It won't work. We've covered, it, we've covered every Monty Williams game in his tenure as a Suns coach. He has never done that with DeAndre Ayton, and I don't suspect he ever will. You want to get him looks in the flow of the offense. We've talked about early possessions. When he gets an early seal on a small, make sure you work the mismatch. But doing it over yeah. and over and over again, it's just it's never been well. It's never been what, their mo. What you just said is how he scored the early seals. That's what he did really well in this game. There's two other ways that DeAndre Ayton can score, and that's really it. There's the pick and roll which I think when the Suns are running a pick and roll with Chris Paul and DeAndre, and they bring, they bring three guys to basically stop either of those guys from scoring, and that's what stopped the pick and roll scoring. And then there's the third way, which is catching the ball in sort of a higher post position, usually closer to the baseline. And the Suns tried that in the second game against the Warriors, and DeAndre Ayton couldn't score against the Warriors by doing that specific play. So I think that, one, he does need to get more shots. So I'm not going to just outright say that the people that are saying feed Aiton in this scenario are wrong because I don't believe that they are. I think the Suns need to find better ways to get DeAndre in the ball, but the fact that he can't catch it 18 feet away from the basket and create for himself just makes it incredibly difficult against a team that plays as good of defense as the Warriors. Right. Second thing, I do think that... I just want to say one thing for him. I think that the Suns could run more pick and rolls with Devin Booker and DeAndre Aiton, but... With the type of sort of Nightcrawler-esque defense that Gary Payton was playing, it happens at the screen. If the screen hits by DeAndre Ayton, if the screen is properly set, and this is not a slip screen because you can't do that against the Warriors, then you can create for DeAndre Ayton or others a lot easier because they can just bring help defense in that scenario. But if the screen doesn't hit and, you know, Gary Payton's just sort of morphing around that screen, that pass becomes essentially impossible for Devin Booker. Uh, so it's just really, this team is particularly difficult and game planned very, very well in this game to take that away from DeAndre in the, the pick and roll. And without those, that means the seals come and you can get those seals, but that pass is also really difficult. And there's a, a timer essentially in the paint that you have to get it to him within two seconds. Otherwise, three seconds is going to be called before he can get the shot up. So that is really particularly difficult. But I do think they need to find ways to, to get him the ball a little better against the Warriors the next time they play. Yeah, I think you said it there. Okay, cool. Let's talk about... So, as much as Payne struggled, I think that this matchup highlights the Suns' need to find another shot creator scorer and even potentially another guy that can play in a small ball lineup that is a capable defender 
specifically against the Warriors. Did that stand out to you as well? I'll be honest. I obviously see the shot creator thing because campaign played so poorly. This did not feel necessarily like a game to me where it was like, oh, Aiton can't hang with these guys. Right. He's getting played off the floor. I, now, granted, I still think the Suns could use one of those guys, another small ball five Tory Craig type. We've talked about it in, in an episode a couple weeks ago, I think, when we opened up trade season. But yesterday's game specifically, or sorry, two days ago, did not feel to me like just yeah. the best example of, oh, we need that. As much as, as much as we need a shot creator. And now here's the problem, Mike. Where do you find the assets to go get both? Right. Well, I think, yeah, I think the main thing that the Suns have is probably a willingness to get rid of up to a few first-round picks if they believe they have a legitimate chance to win the title this season. And I think that's something that they have to actually consider because I think that's worthwhile for a team that's playing as well as they are. Um, does any name stand out to you in particular? That they, like, I think the obvious one is Eric Gordon, right? I mean, we talked about him with uh, Dan, our friend Dan, on a recent podcast. Eric Gordon, I think, would make a huge difference. One, we'll just talk about it. He makes threes. The threes that Cameron Payne is is missing <laughs> currently. Two, there's a surprising amount of rim pressure from Eric Gordon. For those who don't watch a lot of him lately, he's still capable of getting by that first line of defense and attacking the rim. And, and I think capable enough to move the ball if the defense adjusts, which could get the Suns open shots. I think that's probably one of the ones that stands out to me as someone who really would help the Suns in this in this matchup. What do you think? I'm just looking at a stat page here to verify what you're saying. 31% of Eric Gordon's field goal attempts are coming between zero and three feet, so basically right at the rim. 31% is the highest mark for him since... The 2013-14 season when he was a 25-year-old player with the New Orleans Pelicans. And also that 31%, you compare that to Chris Paul. What is Chris Paul's number <laughs> in that stat, do you think? Probably 10, 10%, maybe less. 4%. Yeah. <laughs> 4% of Chris Paul's shots yeah. are layups. Then you've got, I don't have campaigns page pulled up right here, so I could compare it's in a little bit. probably a lot. Yeah. Yeah. No, look, I mean, I, I've been iffy about Eric Gordon in the past because kind of, look, I'll be honest, for the past five years, I kind of thought he was a guy who still had the reputation of a shooter but couldn't hit shit anymore. But uh, this year, he's hitting his threes. So I haven't been watching Houston Rockets basketball closely enough to know exactly why that is. But if it's for real and you think he would help, then maybe you put in a, a, a serious press on going out and getting him because it can't hurt. Anyone else stand out to you as somebody that could help with this matchup? <sighs> Not particularly with the shot creator role. Can I ask you about Karis LeVert? What do you think about I don't Karis think LeVert? He would, I don't think he would help. Well, I don't think he would help with this. I don't think either. And it's kind of interesting I because I, I, I think that in theory, Karis LeVert, who, right, it's not like super, super efficient, but having a, another creator off the bench that can do a lot of the things that Devin Booker could do uh, could make a huge difference. But for some reason, and I haven't really interrogated this within my own mind, it just doesn't make sense for me in this matchup against the Warriors. And to me, that's kind of all you need to care about at this point. Any roster upgrade the Suns could make needs to come with a focus on the matchup against the Warriors in particular because no other team, we haven't seen them against the Jazz yet. We'll, we'll need to see that first. But no other team, but, mm -hmm. no other team should but, scare you the way that the Warriors do. Yeah, and and yeah, you're not like no other team in the West scares you. Obviously, we've seen the Lakers at this point; they're frauds. Um, yeah, 
<laughs> the Nuggets don't scare you yeah. because of injuries. Right. The Clippers don't scare you because of injuries. Uh, and and then it's like you go down the line and Memphis is the fourth seed. Right. So credit credit to Memphis. Who's been really who good and they're tonight. playing yeah tonight. Yeah. Yeah, but you but you don't you don't feel unsafe in that matchup in a in a playoff setting right now. Right. If we're just if we're just being it'd be frank, a disa- it'd be strength. a huge disaster. If you lost yeah. to, the, to the Grizzlies, if you, you know, if you go in with a team as currently constructed and you lose to Memphis in the playoffs, like that is only on you. That would right. be a disaster scenario. It's only on you. Right. But it's not something that you feel like you have to build for right now. So, yeah, it really is just the Warriors. I would love to hear from you guys who are listening. You know, let us know if there are any specific roster upgrades the Suns could make that are realistic. Try to be as realistic as possible. That could help the Suns against the Warriors because, you know, as much as we have some, the hive mind out there is smarter than any individual person. (laughs) So I would love to hear what you guys think as far as what they could do. Now, we save this for last. And if you don't want to hear about it, I understand. But (laughs) before the Christmas Day game, I told you, Sam, the Suns are going to have some guys out from COVID. I guessed, I literally said the day after Christmas. Because that's when the NBA decided to test everyone day by day. So every single day, at least through New Year's, the Suns are testing every single day. Every player in the NBA now. Um, And I made the assumption that the Suns were missing the wave of COVID just because the NBA was only really testing teams that had guys test positive for, and then they were testing everyone every day. So they weren't really doing that with every team. Now it's it. And now as we're recording this, it's Jay Crowder, Alfred Payton, and Monty Williams who's going to miss the game tonight against the Grizzlies and likely out for a week to two weeks. That there sucks. Will be more. And there will be more. That sucks, first of all, <laughs> that it finally hit the Suns, but it's also not a surprise. I mean, mentally, I think we all should have been prepared for this. Uh, but what are your thoughts initially, and then we can dig into it a little. It obviously sucks. It's going to make our analysis pretty useless for the next couple of weeks, and it's going to make some of the basketball that we watch really really weird yeah for the next couple weeks we're doing our next playback stream is uh friday against the celtics who knows who's going to be on the roster by then you know it maybe maybe it's only maybe it's still only jay crowder and alfred payton who are out in which case that would be a pretty fun game maybe we're watching jalen smith run point by then i have no idea (laughs) so we will we will see but uh yeah in the meantime obviously um the nba and nba players association came to an agreement recently because of this plethora of players who are out under COVID restrictions that teams can go out and sign guys to um, sort of emergency provision 10-day contracts now and so the Suns nabbed their first guy um, they who you may recognize they brought back Emmanuel Terry who played let's see I have his page up here somewhere he played three games for the Phoenix Suns during the 2018-2019 season so he is familiar to James Jones not familiar, interestingly, though, to Monty Williams. I think uh, I heard some people say when uh, the signing was announced, which was just a couple hours before we recorded here, oh, well, he knows the playbook. That's Igor Kokoshkov's playbook, actually, that he knows. So I don't think it's uh, such a guarantee that he'll be able to step in and just know exactly what Monty is running. But, uh, yeah, so the first of potentially many emergency signings for the Suns here with Emmanuel Terry. What do you think? Well, first off, Who's going to get more minutes, Jalen Smith or Emmanuel Terry? What do you think? I, I don't want to answer that question because it <laughs> might make me sad. <laughs> I'm curious to see. <laughs> I'm curious to see who I, Monty Williams trusts. I'll be honest. I remember Emmanuel Terry playing for the Suns, and I remember him being kind of okay. And I think 
you put him in the game with Chris Paul, and he's probably going to catch some lobs. I, I think. There are other guys who I would have rooted for, who I would have thought before Emmanuel Terry, though. Like Ray Spalding, I thought, played okay for the Suns. It's crazy how we can just name random scrubs, but Jonah Bolden. Mm-hmm. You remember when Jonah Bolden signed a 10-day contract yeah. with the Suns? I thought he played pretty well, but... Emmanuel Terry it is, and his G League stats this year for the Stockton Kings, he played 10 games, 25 minutes per game, 11 points, 8 rebounds, just over 1 assist, just over 1 steal, and a block per game. Not a shooter whatsoever is on the scouting report. He's basically just like uh, an energy power forward type who can grab some offensive rebounds and run some pick and rolls and hopefully make some hustle plays. Yeah. That'll be interesting. If the... Suns signing a former son, somebody played for the team briefly, is any indication? I think maybe you could consider that Etwan Moore might be back to fill the Alfred oh, Payton. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Is he is he with anyone? No, right now? Uh, not that I can I'm see. I'm shocked. I am shocked that no one has uh, signed him to an emergency contract. Yeah, yet. I think that he he's was, a veteran. Yeah, and I think he was pretty good. I know that a lot of Suns fans were frustrated with him, but I think they see the difference that you know Alfred Payton. Alfred Payton, by the way, has played some pretty oh. good defense over the last five or six games, but he's, just so well um, offensively. Etwan Moore is out because he's actually under contract with the Magic. Oh, he he's, is? Uh, yeah, he has a knee injury, which has kept him out for the there season, but he, okay. has, he has a contract with the Magic, so, so that explains strike it. Strike that. He just hasn't played. <laughs> I, I, I looked at his basketball though. reference page, and I saw zero games played this season. Well, that makes sense. That that explains I it. I have some other ideas for former Suns, though, if you're interested. Yeah, I would love I, to see Because I don't know if you saw him. So Joe Johnson was just signed by yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. the Celtics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He got a bucket. Well, that was a lot of fun. Here we go. I know what's coming. What? Go Jamal ahead. Jamal Crawford. Jamal Crawford. <laughs> no, Jamal Crawford isn't even going to be the one I said. So People but forget I do think, that Jamal Crawford was a bucket. Yeah, they do. People forget. Devin Booker would really appreciate that signing in, in a weird way, I think. I think he would. He's he's weirdly sentimental about like the hoopers of the NBA. A lot uh, of NBA players are. Yeah, yeah. I guess you're right. And, and I bet he and Chris Paul are friends, too. It, it, but it got me thinking about why don't you just challenge the Celtics to try and sign the oldest player? Like, I think every team should be using their 10 day contracts to sign a player who is no younger than 38 and give us like a big three style. So it got me thinking who are some former sons who are still under the age of 40 that you wouldn't expect are still under the age of 40? Are you ready? Yeah. Amari Stoudemire. Yep. He's 30. He's 39. Yep. Can the Suns possibility? Is he still? He's still a coach, right? I have no idea. I think he's still a assistant. I thought coach. he might have been relieved of because uh, he. I think he was uh, like not an official assistant coach. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a player development. Kind He'd of. rather play anyway. He'd rather play. He did. He was doing for the Nets what Steve Nash used to do for the Warriors. He was like a basketball consultant who like showed up. Right. <laughs> that, yeah, that sounds. But right. I don't think he was there at every practice. Yeah. This one really shocked me. Did you know Boris Diaw was thirty nine? I did not realize that, no, but that, you know, he did seem to just sort of retire and disappear. I imagine Boris Diaz pushing like 350 pounds right now, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Someone once, someone once asked him what his plans for were for, I forget when. He wanted to go on this, a boat, right? He, ju- he just wanted to sail the world yeah. on his boat and drink wine and, drink wine and cappuccinos. Which, and by the way, he wanted to do. I mean, come on, that, that, that is goals right there. That's, that's definitely a goal. Yeah, but you spend enough time out at sea and, you know, maybe you want to come back. And, yeah, he probably is 100 pounds overweight. But <laughs> I, I I don't know if anyone's seen him in the past four years, honestly. I just think it would be kind of interesting. Look, if you wanted to go towards the other end, 
Dragon Bender is still only 24 years old. <laughs> yeah. His career could start at literally any minute. Right. Think of, I mean, think about all the guys who their careers don't take off until they're 25 or 26. That's so true. If you want to give him one more chance, uh, former Phoenix Legends slash victory cigar for like three years for the Suns when they were terrible. Big Sauce Allen Williams. I love that. Still only tw- he's 28. There's a lot of options here. That's all I'm saying. It's a lot of options. What about uh, Tyshawn Alexander? What's he doing right now? That's a he, good he's question. like on a he's on a Euro League team, right? Yeah, he might be. Uh, according to this, it's Virtus Bologna. Bo- <laughs> I have no idea how to pronounce these teams. Uh, is that <laughs> NBA? It's he's the uh, LBA League, Euro Cup League. Look, he'd probably rather yeah, play in okay. the, it's in Italy. So he'd probably rather play yeah, in the in NBA, Italy. right? Uh well it depends. I mean, not necessarily for a ten day contract. A ten day contract doesn't pay that well, and sometimes these European contracts That's true. I mean, they don't they don't pay as well as if you could get a minimum contract in the NBA, but they pay better than just I'm going to be here for 20 games and or sorry for 20 days and then need to leave. So it depends. Mm-hmm. Um, one other guy I was thinking maybe if Etwan Moore is not available, could bring Troy Daniels back. Ah, he's not signed to an NBA team right now. Yeah, he's a guy who uh, Devin Booker seemed to like a lot when he was here. Uh, honestly, I would say Troy Daniels. Might have been the only shooter, the only actual shooter Devin Booker played with for the first four years of his career. And I might, honestly, <laughs> yeah. if you had me lay out all the other 60,000 teammates that Devin Booker played with, I might stand by that fact. I'm not sure you could find another 40% <laughs> three-point shooter on the list. No, I doubt it. I think you might be right. What a disaster that was. <laughs> uh yeah, it's you know, there's two things with this. First of all, it's terrible, and and the Suns are likely going to lose more guys. And and the reality is, we're probably going to see some really bad basketball over the next few games. And other teams are hit earlier. And if other teams are hit earlier, that likely means that they're going to have players back, and the Suns are going to have players out. So the Suns can lose some significant uh, ground here. But that's why they have some ground to lose. They the Suns could lose a few games and still be the second seed of the NBA. And the Warriors have Draymond Green out. Who knows what will happen with them? It's possible that they'll lose a few guys as well. Um, Draymond Green, I don't know, patient zero for this outbreak with the Suns maybe. Uh, but that could affect their standings as well. And and overall, the Suns could be on the other end of this in the same situation they were in before it, uh, but with a few guys that were sick for a while. So we'll see what happens with them. The other end of it, there are guys that get chance a chance here, opportunities, and... You know, it's possible that teams will find diamonds in the rough here, whether that Absolutely. be the Suns or other teams that may make it to an, an actual NBA roster sometime mm-hmm. soon, and the Suns have spots. So one, you know, uh, one former Sun who I've actually hadn't heard his name uttered by anyone in about three or four years since we drafted him and appears to be playing pretty well is Davon Reed. I don't know if you remember yeah. him, but he's apparently uh, finding a real niche as a role player for Denver. Yeah, where- he, he was supposed to be one of those shooters that Devin Booker played with. Yeah, he was, he was, I mean, look, he was a second round pick. You never expect all that much, but it was supposed to be a long prototypical three and D type that you could plug in. Didn't work out that one season he played for the Suns. I mean, didn't really get any playing time. Had some injuries too. 19 or 20 years old, but Hey, now he's 23 or 24. Like I said, I have no idea what he's been up to for the past few years, but Denver fans seem to like him from what I see. So, you know, there will be success stories that come out of this. And I guess that's a small thing to take out of it. Yeah, that's right. Um, so that's that's the story with COVID. That's going to be an ongoing story. It's apparently this specific variant is incredibly contagious. So it, and you can see the way that it sort of swept through the league. That when one guy gets it on a team, you know, like the Bulls, ten guys could get it. Uh, so that's something that could happen very soon. 
It's likely that the news has even changed by the time that you're listening to this. The Suns do have a game tonight. We're recording on Monday. They play against the Memphis Grizzlies, who do have John Morant back now. And we'll be incredibly interesting to see how they play with Cameron Johnson in the starting lineup. This is something people have wanted to see. I think that we wanted to talk about it this episode, but Sam, let's see them play with him in the starting lineup, assuming nobody else is out, and come back and talk about it later next week after we see it. Because I have some thoughts. My first thought is they need his offense off the bench, but we'll see how it looks with him in the starting lineup so far. Anything else before we get going on this one, Sam? I think that's all for this one. Uh, Stay safe out there. Yes. Wishing you the best health and a happy new year. Yes, happy new year. Uh, Hopefully you had a good holiday outside of the two Arizona teams being incredibly disappointing. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be back with a Patreon episode this midweek. And for patrons as well, we'll be calling the game on Friday, New Year's Eve, which is a midday game. It's like at 11 a.m. for uh, New Year's Year's (laughs) a.m. Yes, New Year's a.m. So join us for that one. I think that'll be really fun uh, against the Celtics, even if we're calling a bunch of no names on 10 days. (laughs) Sorry. Good luck to the players that are joining teams this week and soon. Hopefully they make a name for themselves in the NBA. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.